We're going to look at one passage this morning in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. In the summer of uh, 2000, I had the opportunity to visit the Holy and uh, that was a mind-numbing experience. As you may know, Auschwitz was built as a prison by the Nazi Germans to displace undesirable people, mostly Jewish people, some Polish people, and other people, but mostly Jewish. It became a death camp where one point million people were literally exterminated, and I got to see the uh, gas chambers, at least something that was left, and I got to see also um, the crematorium where the ovens were. One of the prisoners of Auschwitz was named uh, Father Maximilian Kolbe. Some of you have heard about him. He was a priest from Poland. In July of 1941, um, and Father Kolbe was a prisoner at this time. In July of 1941, three prisoners escaped from Auschwitz. So the Germans... To make an example of this, to put a little fear into the camp, took 10 prisoners uh, and starved them to death. That was their plan to show as an example. So they picked 10 prisoners. One of the men cried out, but I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a, I'm a father. And Maximilian Colby stepped forward and said, I will take his place. And he did. And so uh, Maximilian Colby was placed in the prison without food for two weeks. Now, some people can certainly survive longer than two weeks. But in their circumstances, everyone, all nine people out of the ten died of starvation or something else during those two weeks. And Father Colby was the only one left. Because he was still alive, Objection. On August 14th, 1941. In the Book of Saints by Ann Gordon, uh, she writes, 30 years later, a survivor of Auschwitz described the effect of Colby's action. He said, It was an enormous shock to the whole camp. We became aware that someone among us in this spiritual dark night of the soul was raising the standard of love on high. Someone unknown, like everyone else, tortured and bereft of name and social standing, went, into, went to a horrible death for the sake of someone not even related to him. Father Colby took, died a horrible death for someone he didn't know. Jesus died a horrible death for you. And he does know you. That is good news. Jesus died for you and for me. That's why we celebrate Easter. On that very first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. Something happened that day that changed the course of history throughout all of eternity. 
And it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to focus on just one single verse, although I have a few verses that I want to use to talk about that one single verse of what Easter is all about and why it's good news. The passage is 1 Peter 3.18. And it goes like this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The good news is, if you want to follow on your outline, the good news is Father Colby died for one man. And that was a great act of love, of sacrifice. Jesus died for all people for an eternity. Uh, The crucifixion was not a surprise to God. It was a surprise to Jesus' followers, even though he told them beforehand what was going to happen. He uh, sought to prepare them, and it was very clear that he knew what was coming. It's very clear that he participated and gave himself up for this. Jesus' death was God's plan. His death was God's plan. Isaiah the prophet wrote, um, yeah, there we go, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah the prophet wrote uh, about 800 years and God was in this. And uh, people didn't understand Isaiah. And one of the things I forget to tell you once in a while is, and just look at verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Isaiah the prophet, 800 years earlier, is talking about someone who will come, a servant of God, who will be the Messiah or the Christ, as we would call him. And this is a prophecy about him. What I usually forget to tell you in the Old Testament, in a passage like this on Isaiah, the writer is speaking with a prophetic perfect, meaning he's speaking as if it's already happened. He has gone into the future. He is seeing in the future as if it's already happened. Now, the, 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 the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they understood this. And I sometimes forget to tell you because it looks like it's already happened. But in the eyes of Isaiah, 800 years earlier, it did. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him. It looked like Jesus was a failure, that he would be crucified on the cross. How can that be good? Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He was pierced. He was nailed to the cross. Later, uh, after his death, soldier came up and pierced his side with a spear. He was pierced uh, for our transgressions, our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. This was because of us, Isaiah says. It was our sin. The punishment that brought us peace. Isaiah is saying 800 years early, there's going to be a great benefit that comes out of this. And somehow we're going to have a peace. By his wounds, we are healed, and we're going to be, have the opportunity to be deeply healed in the soul. And yes, Jesus heals physically, but ultimately, he heals our soul. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
And so Isaiah uh, recognizes that all of us, like, like sheep, how sheep wander away. Well, we have wandered away from God. And we get off the path. And we get self-focused, self-centered. And we just do our own thing. And we dishonor God. And the Bible also calls that sin. And here it's called iniquity. Um, we all like sheep have gone astray. Next slide. Each of us has turned to our own way, done our own thing. The Lord has laid on him. And here's, here's the substitutionary atonement in the Old Testament. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as Isaiah is saying, God took our sin and put it on this servant and laid it on him. And they were clueless about this. And I can understand why I wouldn't have been able to figure it out. I get to see it later after it all happened and how the, I get to all of the Bible to explain it. Just as you saw Peter and John begin to gain insight about Jesus and his death, uh, God's people began to put this together. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was, like a, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. You know... Uh, Animals were sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. Lambs were sacrificed. And they were led to the temple. And this is like a lamb to the slaughter. And, his, and Jesus was um, taken before the ruling council on trial right before his death. And he didn't speak. As the sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus did not argue or try to defend himself when it was so unfair that he would be arrested, so unfair that he would be executed. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Um, You know, even he surprised Pilate by not defending himself. Yet who of his generation protested? Uh, Next slide. For he was cut off from the land of the living. That means uh, death. He was executed. He was put to death. Cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He wasn't punished for his own wrongdoing. He was He was punished for the sins of other people. Verse 9. He was assigned to a grave with the wicked... Um, anybody who was crucified would be thrown into a criminal, criminal's grave. Jesus was crucified with two thieves, one on his right, one on his left. The normal thing to do would be to have a mass grave, throw them all together. Didn't happen with Jesus. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And Joseph of Arimathea, A secret follower of Jesus came forward and asked for the body. That would have been a great risk. He he could have got into huge trouble for this, to sort of come out of the closet as a follower of Jesus. And he asked to take the body so it could have a proper burial, a a private burial, and it would be in a wealthy man's tomb, like huge instead of a mass grave. Um. Though he had done no violence, no sin, there was no deceit in his, in his mouth. He, he was telling the truth. He told the truth. That was his habit. Uh, yet it was the Lord's will. Please see that. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This was no surprise to God. This was no surprise to Jesus. It was God's plan all along. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord uh, makes his life an offering for sin, a ransom payment, there's the atonement right there, a payment for sin. We're going to see that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, a little bit more. Next slide. He, he will see his offspring and re- prolong his days. Well, did Jesus have offspring? Well, nope, he didn't. No physical offspring, never got married, never had children. Despite what the TV channels try to tell you, if they get off on some weird perspective. What offspring? Children of God, people who are born again. He's had a great uh, expansion of God's family by people who were born of God. Born again, as Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It did prosper in his hand. It is prospering in his hand. And eternally, he's going to have a marvelous, fabulous, eternal kingdom. And everybody will know all about him and who he is. That's good news. Secondly, his death demonstrated God's profound love for us. Jesus died because God loves you. That's an amazing concept. This took me a long time to understand. In fact, it was really, really hard for, for me to understand why God loved me, how God loved me. Didn't feel necessarily like God loved me. And, and you know, my story is I didn't come to faith until I was 25. So I was really slow at, at understanding I heard this over and over and over. I sort of wasn't interested. Sort of. In fact, I was kind of angry about it. Uh, his death demonstrated God's profound love for us. Uh, Romans 5.8 reminds us of this. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, the idea of love here is sacrificial love. It's not romantic love. It's not about emotional love, although God has emotions about you. But it's about putting someone before self. It's sacrificial. It's high commitment. Um, A sacrificial commitment to an imperfect person. That's God's love. And it's not about you're a good person. It's not that he loves good people and he doesn't love bad people. He loves all people. It's not based on performance. It's not, well, I, I like you because you're really good and you do a lot of good things. It's not it. He loves you. He loves me. He loves all people because the offer he makes is to all people, not to special people. And he did this while we were sinners. We don't have it all together. Uh, next, his, his death paid for our sins. His death paid for our sins. God. And Jesus paid for our moral debt. God is a holy God. And he's a righteous God. And he can't be in relationship with sin. If we bring sin, he can't be in a relationship with us. All people are sinners and all people start out not being able to have a relationship with God, 
in their own power, in their own strength, in the way they choose to do their own things. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And he's speaking to believers here who have already uh, made a decision to place their faith in Christ. And he's explaining that it is Christ who redeemed us. He paid the price for our sin. He made the ransom payment because that's what redemption is. It's about a ransom that has to be paid. Forgiveness. And forgiveness comes and only comes through the death of Christ. There is no forgiveness apart from that. No one can be forgiven apart from Jesus Christ. In accordance with the riches of God's grace, God wanted to do this for you because he loved you. And it was through the blood of Christ. That means that through that crucifixion, that his death that paid for our sins. And he didn't die because we were good people. He died because we were sinners. Um, his death, what, uh, just another comment about uh, redemption here. Remember I said God is holy and... Uh, Sin has to be judged. God is a just God. Sin has to be judged. Uh, God, Jesus, took all sin. We're going to see that more in just a minute. And he took our sin on himself. And then his life was a payment for everyone's sin. Redemption. The price paid for salvation, it's done, it's paid for, okay? His death was a substitute for our spiritual death. We actually deserve a spiritual death, eternal separation from God. Um, Romans 3.23, just to remind us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible just says every person is a sinner, all have sinned. Every person in this room is a sinner. I'm a sinner, okay? Every person in the world is a sinner. Every person ever born except Jesus was a sinner. Every person that will be born will be a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has standards. His standards are there. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The good news is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ, Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Wages are what we earn. If um, you work $40, 40 hours a week at $20 an hour, paycheck would be $800. You earned it. You deserve it. What we earn, what we deserve for sin is death. This isn't physical death. This is a spiritual death. It's eternal death. Death is about separation. Eternal death is about separation from God forever. Jesus called it hell. Um, The good news, though, 1 Peter 3, 18, this is our main verse. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ 
suffered once. He died for sins. He died for our sins. And it was the righteous for the unrighteous. That's good news. He's the righteous one. I'm the unrighteous. We are the unrighteous. And he died for us. He took our place. He was our substitute. Secondly, the good news is the work of our salvation. The the good news is the work of our salvation has already been done. That's what 1 Peter 3.18 is all about. Christ's death was once for all. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were made to cover sin. In other words, animals were sacrificed and their blood sort of covered people's sin on a temporary basis. And sacrifices had to be made over and over, year after year. Jesus' death was once for all. Sometimes that's hard to understand. Once for all. Only one is needed. Um, How can that be? It's because of who Jesus is. Is. He's alive right now because of the resurrection. He sat down at the right hand of God. He is alive. It's because of who he is. He is God's son. He is the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. Colossians 1 tells us he's the creator. He is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God. And um, how valuable is his life? Well, his life is infinitely valuable. Take that in. His life is infinitely valuable. How, How valuable is your life? few grand? How valuable is your life? What if uh, Father Colby could pay for the life of one man? He, he, took, he stepped in and saved the man physically, didn't he? And the man got to live a while longer. We don't know what happened to him. Maybe he died in the camp. That's likely what happened. Very few made it out. But Father Colby couldn't pay for the man's sin. But let's say, um, and I've shared the, the good news I've, this way, and I've said, well, what if, do you think I'm a good man? And a lot of people say, well, yeah, you're, you're a pastor. You probably are a good man. Well, is my life good enough to save, you know, I have a family. Is my, I love my family. Is my life good enough to save um, my own son? Is, is my life, is it way more than my son's sin penalty? Well, that's my life. Uh, valuable enough to pay the sin of my daughters? Nope, it's not. Let's say it did. Is my life good enough to pay for the value of my wife? No. But, you know, we could, we could just keep adding. But it, how big is the sin penalty? If we just took your moral debt before God, everybody in this room, how big is that? You know, I can just see the calculator spinning, you know, coming up with a value. Well, Jesus' death has to pay for the sin of the entire world. We've got to go back to the beginning. What about all the sin? Wow, lots of people, billions of people. It's going to click. It's probably not going to click. It's just going to spin, whatever, digitally, I don't know. What about the future? 
How many people are not yet born? That Jesus' death pays for the sin penalty. How can that be? You know, at some point, Jesus is going to come back and put everything to a stop. And there is going to be There will be a number. I don't know how many billions or how big that number will be. But it's going to be a finite number of people. And it's going to be a finite sin penalty. Jesus' life was infinitely valuable. That's why it's paid for. It was done 2,000 years ago. That's why this news is so good. Christ's death was once for all. Hebrews 9.27 says this. um, Just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment. People are destined to die once. You and I are destined to die of physical death. And after that, we're destined to face Jesus. We're we're destined to face a judgment. This is normal. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. And there's a promise about Jesus coming again. The reason he can come again is because of the resurrection. Because he once, once for all time, once for all people. When Jesus died on the cross, God's justice required satisfaction. The sin penalty had to be paid for. My moral debt before God had to be paid for. When Jesus died... When his life was a payment for sin, all sin, God the Father was totally satisfied with justice. His justice was satisfied. Jesus' payment for us. And and Jesus' life now can cover our lives. Here's another way to say it. Christ's death was God's work for us. Um, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But because of his great love for us, another reminder how much God loves you, his love for us. God who is rich in mercy. It's, this is an expression of love, mercy. Not getting what we deserve. He made us alive with Christ. And this is, he's looking back to those people who have already been made alive, who have already been reborn spiritually, who have already placed their faith in Jesus. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, because in our sin we were dead to God. It is by grace you have been saved. It is grace, it is God's work. It's God's favor. It's what, all about what God has done. It's not about what we've done. That's where he's, that's the whole point he's going to argue here. And then we come to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Well-known passage, for it is by grace you've been saved. Talking to believers. It's about what he's done for you, and it's through faith. That's how you have access to God. It's through faith. It's not through performance. And this is not from yourselves. Hey, it's not about you. It is a gift of God. And that's what I want you to know today. The good news is a gift. The offer God makes to you and to every person is a gift. It's not something you or I deserve. 
It's not because we're good people. We've done good things. Not yet. It's purely God's grace. It's not by works so that no one can boast. If it was about, let's keep track of, let's keep score on how many good things we do and how many points do I get for each good thing? And do I get enough points in my account to be accepted by God? Some people think that way. A lot of religious activities are designed that way. Do good things, please God, and maybe you'll be accepted by God. That's not it. Because one of the problems with religious people is they start thinking they're better than other people because of all the good things I do. Look at me. And that would cause some people to boast and be prideful. Um, Christ's death can bring us into a right relationship with God. This was the purpose, to bring us into a right relationship with God. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, him for me, and there's a purpose, to bring you to God. That was his intention. That's what he wants. He wants to bring you to God. He wants to bring you into a right relationship with God. And um, that's going to be important. Um, This is important because our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates... There we go. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Sin separates us from God, moves us away from God. And God doesn't really have a hearing problem. He just doesn't want to be in a relationship with you uh, because of sin. Ephesians 4.18 has the same idea. And uh, Paul is talking about people who have not come to faith yet, and he describes the unbeliever. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They don't see the light of God. And they are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. People's hearts get callous toward God. And um, they're separated from God. Also, this is important because Christ's resurrection was proof of his victory over sin and death. Next slide. This is important because of Christ, Christ's resurrection was proof over sin and death. One more time. First Peter 3, verse 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body. Jesus was crucified. He was put to death. He actually died a physical death. But he was made alive in the spirit. God raised Jesus from the dead, made him alive. Again, the resurrection. And that was proof of the success of Jesus' mission. That was proof that he accomplished what he came to do, to die for sin. All that, that Isaiah talked about in the Old Testament, that he fulfilled that, that the sin penalty was paid for. It's proof that he can come back from the dead. It's proof of victory over death. And Jesus was given a resurrected body, which is different 
it was, uh, it's different than his total physical body. And it's, it's fit for eternity. And one day he's going to give his people an eternal body. Um, his, his, his resurrection is proof of this victory and he is alive right now and he's sitting at the right hand of God. If we could locate that, where is the right hand of God? We could see him and we could see his resurrected body. We could see the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the, and the spear uh, thrust into his side. We'd be able to see that that injury. So, here it is. What is for us? What is the environment of us? All these things that God did for us. What is God's requirement of us? And 11.25 puts it this way. Jesus said uh, to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And that's it. Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you believe in Jesus, who he is and what he's done, you will live. He's not talking about a physical life here. He's talking about an eternal life, even though they will die, even though normally we're going to experience physical death. There is life beyond the grave, eternal life. By the way, eternal life doesn't start at death. It starts when you believe. For me, September 29th, 1974, 4.30 in the morning, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and I didn't expect much to happen, but God began to change me on the inside slowly, carefully. He began to transform me, began to change some of my desires, gave me strength to do things that I couldn't do before, gave me a desire to be a good husband and a good father and to... uh, began to want to serve him and began to want to tell others about this good news. God has one requirement, and that's to believe what he said. To finish, I want to make a brief comparison with religion in general and genuine Christianity. And the way we do this, uh, I like to think in terms of do versus done. Religion is about doing things trying to do good things and impress God. Uh, religion is about, the way I'm talking about it here, is about trying to do good things. And that's, sometimes uh, people do it, try to do good things in the name of Christianity to try to please God and be accepted by Him. And sometimes it's other religions, they're good enough to be accepted by God. Christianity is different. It's about things that are already done. It's understanding God did the work. The work of salvation is done. Go ahead and add the next. uh, Doing enough good things to be accepted by God versus understanding that Jesus did the work of our salvation. Um, You know, the doing part is like keeping score and adding it up and hoping that uh, one day I'll be good enough and God will say, okay, I accept you. I grew up going to church, and I, I was taught to believe and be good. And hopefully, believing and being good would be enough. I didn't know for sure, but hopefully it would be. 
And then I didn't, I didn't have a relationship with God and it didn't make sense to me and I just threw it all behind. And later I understood that Jesus, God's required for me is just having to trust him. What does God say about his son? Now, when I trusted him, I didn't expect that everything was going to start changing because he wants me to grow and to change and to be more like Jesus. One requirement, it's to believe. It's not believing in the church. It's not believing in sacraments. It's not believing in your performance. The good news is to believe in Jesus and him alone. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, as we close this morning, I just want to give us an opportunity. Um, If there are people here today who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who haven't experienced forgiveness of sins, I want to give that opportunity this morning, this Easter Sunday, because this good news is so good. Many of you have experienced having a relationship with God, have placed your faith, and you know your sins are forgiven. If you don't know that your sins are forgiven, if you don't know that you've placed your faith in Christ, I'd like to give you an opportunity this morning. Uh, John 3.16 says, did we pass John 3.16? Thank you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus will not perish. He's talking about eternally, not perish eternally, but will have eternal life. This is good news. Uh, So prayer is one way to express your faith. I want to close by um, telling you a a prayer. I'm going to go through the prayer the first time and just I want you to think about it and listen. And then I'm going to go through it a second time, if it made sense to you. And I'm going to uh, ask if you would like to pray that yourself, okay? But here's the prayer. Just see if this makes sense to you. Um, I understand that you love me, and you sent your son to die for me. I understand that Jesus died for my sins, that he paid it all. I understand there's nothing I can do to earn your love or to earn salvation. Right now, I place my faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I want to invite Jesus to come into my life and lead me in the days ahead because I want to follow Him. It's as simple as that. It's about trusting in Him and what He's done. It's not trusting in yourself. So let's bow in prayer together. And I'd like to pray a second time. And if that made sense to you, and if you already know that you have a relationship with God, just thank Jesus uh, for all the good things he's done and for uh, his death for you. But if you're not sure, I want to invite you to pray with me. Sinner, that I've broken your laws. I understand that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die for me. Right now, I'm putting my trust, my faith in Jesus. I'm believing in Jesus for my own salvation. Today, I want a fresh start with Jesus. Jesus, I want you 
to come into my life and to lead me and to help me to be the person that you want me to be. Thank you. And if you would just, if you'd just keep your heads bowed for a few more seconds. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you mind slipping your hand up just so I can see it? If you prayed along with me, just slip up your hand. Anyone else? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Thank you for, you can put your hands down. Father, we just uh, worship you today. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death for us. Thank you for the resurrection that we celebrate today. Proof of your love, proof of your victory. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you today for those who've raised their hands and indicated they've placed their faith in Jesus. Lord, it's my prayer that um, they just might sense your presence right now in a very significant and meaningful way. It's my prayer that they will have a confidence about their relationship with you and having eternal life. God, for the church, uh, we just, Lord, may we keep our focus on the good news. May we be grateful. May we live each day in appreciation of the gift that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.